This is the Office Manager Diaries, a podcast all about the highs and the lows of professionals in office management around the world. We'll delve into their career journeys and diaries where they'll share their stories, tips for success and only things office managers understand. Enjoy and please remember to give us a follow. Hi everybody, it's Hannah Gray and I'm back with another episode of the Office Manager Diaries podcast. Really delighted today to be joined by Cass Briscoe, who I'm welcoming. She is a freelance office and events manager at Cass Briscoe. Hi Cass, good morning and welcome. Hi Hannah, thanks so much for having me. Pleasure, it's lovely to see you. It's not quite as cold as yesterday, today. the temperature suddenly dropped by about 100 degrees, didn't it? And now it's warmed up a little bit again. Yes, I went out in my big coat this morning for a walk and got a bit sweaty, actually. So it's not quite as cold as it was. No, it's uh, it's just the ever-changing challenges for anyone outside of the UK. I'm sure it's happening elsewhere in the world, but you just it's layers, isn't it? The key is layers. But we're both sitting here in jumpers probably for the first time um, for most of this year, so... Yeah, thank you for giving up your time to spend with us on the podcast. So I'll start by saying that um, I remember we met because you joined the office management portal as a member a number of years ago. And at that time, you were the workplace experience manager at Own Backup. And then you joined Clio um, a little while later. Tell us about your time in office management and how you first got into the profession, please. Absolutely. So I actually started my career in advertising as sort of like a production assistant for a small production company. And that was a lot like being a PA basically for the production team. So I remained in production in advertising for a little while. And I was at this one company for about five years and a job came up as the EA for the managing director. And I thought about going for it, but at the time I was going through some sort of big personal stuff and I didn't feel it was the right time. So I didn't, and I always regret it. And then two months later, the person they hired, it didn't work out. They left. So the role came up again. And I thought, I just have to go for it. So I'd not had any sort of direct EA experience at that point. But because I'd been a production assistant and also because I'd been at the company for like a long time, they were very keen to have somebody who sort of knew everyone very well, who they could integrate with the leadership team, who sort of had an ear into like the wider team. So that's why they hired me. And I ended up doing that for a couple more years. And I worked very closely with our office manager there, did a lot of events, did all the events management, both internal and external events, got involved in their CSR, which is corporate social responsibility stuff. Um, I was on their social committee. I headed up their DE&I, so diversity, equity and inclusion initiatives, and really just threw myself into sort of every aspect of office and culture and leadership support. And then after that, I, because I'd been there by that point, about seven years, I decided I just wanted to work somewhere else. So I applied to work at Home Backup as their workplace experience manager. They are an American tech company and they had a London presence. They'd never had an office manager before. So I was the first person to be in that role. I looked after the London office and also the Paris office remotely, which was really, really good fun. After that, after I'd done that for a few years, I went and took the job at Clio which was a workplace experience manager role. And I got promoted to workplace experience lead while I was there. But because the job started off initially as maternity cover, I was always thinking about what I was going to do next. And I thought about branching out on my own and I'd been thinking about it for a really long time. So even when the promotion and the permanent opportunity came around, whilst I did take it to start with, eventually I thought I've just got to do this. I've just got to branch out on my own. I've always wanted to do it. So I did. And now here I am funny isn't it because it sounds like for you it's very much fate so you you 
potentially or, or did have the intention you saw that role come up and you thought actually that that's a bit of me but as you say the time timing wasn't right and timing is everything in life generally but especially in our careers I feel and so the fact that it didn't work out you were probably quite gleefully happy like oh now's now's my chance and <laughs> yeah you don't want to celebrate things not working out for someone but it did work out for me <laughs> it's almost that thing isn't it when one door closes another door opens and I think that happens quite a lot I guess and from speaking to other people on the podcast within these these roles in office management and uh, assistant and administration roles where there are opportunities and we think oh I, I actually really quite like the look of that and what attracted you to that role was it the kind of people aspect was it the organization because there must have been something that you thought oh that's a little bit of me what what was that moment do you think well partly because I'd been there for so long and I knew everyone very well I thought I can really make a difference in this role I can really be that voice of the people um amongst the leadership team so that was really appealing to me but also and I think probably a lot of people in our professions would say this. I've always been the organizer in my friends. I organize the group holidays. I organize the dinners. I'm the one in the group chat being like, right, Tuesday, 9.30, be there, et cetera. So for me, it was kind of, and I've always been a planner, always love a to-do list. So for me, it seemed like quite a natural use of my skills. And I was right from day one in that EA job. It was like someone had turned the lights on. I was like, why haven't I been doing this? the whole time this is just exactly the sort of job that I should be doing use putting my organizational skills to use to help other people do their jobs better so yeah it was just like you say it was fate I think yeah it absolutely is it's funny my my a thought flashed through my head then when you said Tuesday at 9 30 and I thought oh my god that's late to meet on a Tuesday <laughs> showing my age <laughs> and so that leap when you know, I think it's very clever when you're going into a contract role, like you mentioned with Cleo and the maternity piece there to think about what's next. And you obviously had this burning desire to set up on your own. So now you've done that. What really made you make the move? Like what, again, I suppose, lit that fire in your belly to say, this is actually what I want to do next um, in terms of self-employed work. And how is that going for you so far? For me, I think the main motivator was being able to choose the people that I work with more so than you can in a salaried role I knew that I wanted to work with smaller businesses with a lot of women I work with um, female entrepreneurs and people within that space people within the creative space I was working so the last two jobs I had before I went freelance were in tech startups what's great about working at a tech startup is that because there often isn't a lot of process you do have a lot of freedom and creativity to do kind of what you want day to day in the role and I love that the autonomy is really important to me so that was another factor I thought if I go freelance then I have that autonomy every single day and I think I mean I guess it's not for everyone running your own business and working for yourself but for me it's just something that I've always wondered about and perhaps have never had the confidence to do before but in my last couple of roles especially or even in my whole career if I look back at the last few jobs I've had I've achieved quite a lot and managed and run a lot of very big projects big office moves, big office redesigns, company offsites for hundreds of people single-handedly. And I thought if I can do that, then I'll be fine working for myself. I know I can do stuff on my own. Um, and so far, touch wood, I have done. So <laughs> it was the right decision for now. It, it is, you know, I set up over seven years ago and it is that big 
jump I always say there's pushes and pulls in life so things weren't quite working out for me in my um last sort of permanent company where there were a lot of broken promises let's just say when they when they headhunted me and there were too many politics there for me as well so in a similar vein where you're saying you can choose who you work with and who you work for because obviously everybody from here on out is a client of yours it was a a a similar reason a similar push for me where okay I you know I, I don't want to have all these politics in my life and don't get me wrong there are still some sometimes in my business but very very few and far between compared to that of these big corporate companies that I've worked for in the past so I absolutely agree and the autonomy you can't really ask for much more than running your own business there can you so yeah agree with that one it's it's a great thing to do but it's challenging so on that point what for you were the biggest challenges to overcome during your career before you set up your business in the administrative and business support profession and do you have any tips to share with our listeners as to how you overcome those common challenges yeah so I mean I think the biggest skill set that you need and the biggest challenge to overcome in any role like this office manager PA EA whatever is having a handle on your organization on your to-do list making sure that you're prioritizing what you need to prioritize also making sure you've got the flexibility to like be very reactive and jump on stuff that comes up because we know from being office managers that there are fires the other day I was I'm working for a company at the moment as a freelance office manager and there was literally a fire the other day so you're putting out fires literal and metaphorical ones all the time so you need to be able to make sure that your to-do list is organized to a point where you've got the flexibility to jump on the stuff as and when it comes up as well and that's a skill that's been particularly valuable when working on my own I'm working for a lot of different clients in completely different industries on completely different things and I often have to jump from one thing to another very quickly and I don't think I'd be able to do that as effectively if I hadn't had all the years of experience of doing it as an office manager or an EA so I mean I use all the a lot of the same tools that a lot of people use very similar to you I think I heard on another podcast you use Microsoft to do for your weekly to do and then you do like a weekly check-in I do it on Notion but it's the same thing I have my daily to-do list and then once a week I sort of recalibrate it and it just makes sure that that's sort of ticking along and I also use Notion as like an ongoing database for my longer term projects and yeah, I just have a lot of different, because I have a lot of different clients. They use a lot of different tools individually themselves. So it's, again, it's being very adaptable to what they're using, whether they're on Notion or Trello or Google Drive or whatever it is. Um, I time block my calendar a lot. Um, I'm a big fan of time blocking. So I have a lot, I have color-coded calendars for every single aspect of my business, every different client. When you're running your own business, you need to make sure you make time for marketing going through your finances, doing your expenses. So I've got a calendar for each and every different part of my business and I make sure I color block that, uh, sorry, time block it with different colors. And I can see at a glance in my week, like, is it too marketing heavy? Is it too client heavy? Um, And I can just move stuff around. I find that really effective as well. I also am a big fan of eating the frog. I don't know if you're familiar with eating the frog. Uh, For anyone who doesn't know about eat the frog, it's where you take a task that you're probably most not looking forward to on your to-do list and you just get it out of the way first thing in the morning um it's I I read about it and I thought "Mm, that sounds a bit corny but actually the the impact it has on making you feel really smug for having got that thing done um and I started off just doing it in the morning then I would make time to do it on a Monday morning to like set me up for the week and now I've recently I can't remember who it was but I saw someone on LinkedIn do this and I've started doing it myself and it's even better so on a Friday morning 
I set aside an hour to eat the frog and I do all the tasks that are coming up for the following week that I don't want to do. <laughs> and then I log in on a Monday morning and I've already done all those tasks. And honestly, the way it sets you up for the week is just, yeah, so good. I'd recommend it to anyone. Eat the frog. Yeah. And the sleep you must get at the weekend, having, like you say, feelings, because we all know that feeling, I think, that you're talking about, that smugness you mentioned, where when you finally get that task that you have been procrastinating over or been putting off for whatever reason. And I think it's really important to understand why you're putting particular tasks off Mm -hmm. to go there a little bit more. You know, what is it about that task that you don't want to do? Is it the task itself? Is it imposter syndrome? There's so many elements to to figure out. But when you do get to that task or you do make a start and you've had some headway on it, you do feel really smug. Like there's things that I've done recently and I, you know, I should have done them much sooner And then when I've started it, I finished it, I think, oh God, it wasn't that bad or it feels so good. And that it's that shoulder kind of relief that you get. So yeah, doing that on a Friday is very wise words, very wise words, because you do then, you don't carry it over the weekend, you don't carry it into the following week. So that's, that's great advice. So thanks for sharing that, Kaz. So you talk a lot um, about culture at work. You know, we've been connected on LinkedIn for a long time. So I've seen some of your posts on there as well. How have you previously influenced that in your office management environments? You know, workplace experience manager as a title would very much be about the experience that people are having at work. And I think culture is a huge part of that title. So how have you ensured a positive and productive culture and working environment within your roles previously? So I think... It's worth noting that because I've been in in office management and these sorts of roles for a while, um, I've seen the, like a lot of others, I've seen the landscape change from what it was like to be an office manager pre-COVID and what it's like to be an office manager post-COVID. And I would go as far to say as they are completely different jobs in as much as previously you had an office five days a week, probably everyone was in that office five days a week and it was your job to run the office and that was fine. Um, whereas now you've got all these additional challenges where not everyone's using the office every single day, but you have to also consider and you should consider those people who are remote. How do you make them feel included? How do you make those people feel engaged and part of the culture if you're not physically seeing people every single day? Um, I think some companies do this really well. I think some companies have got worse at this, but it's all pretty news ish still. We're all still learning and companies are changing their mandates and their requirements and stuff all the time. But regardless of whether I've been in roles post-COVID or pre-COVID, I think what's the most important thing to try and a good starting point for any positive working culture is to try and ensure that you're creating a culture of care. And the way I would go about that if I was trying to start from scratch is I would ask the people who work at that company what they think, what they want, what they need. It's so meaningful to ask staff so whether you do that through surveys or like feedback forms or whatever you know what works for you what doesn't work for you what would make you happy within this role what can we do to make you happy within this role Um, and I think a lot of companies miss that really obvious step so they sit together in a leadership meeting and they decide unanimously amongst themselves what they think makes good culture and what they think makes a good compelling office space etc And then they just roll it out and tell everyone that that's what it is. And that doesn't work for everyone. I'm not saying that you can ask people what they want and give everyone exactly what they want all the time. But, you know, it helps to have that information. So, you know, if you're heading in the right direction. And again, previously post, sorry, pre-COVID, it was a bit more like the situation where I just described where you're running, like a company is running an office and you make the decision to go and work at that office. 
So it's kind of set up how it's set up and, you know, you're making that decision to go and work there. Now it's different. Like it's not about the office. It's not, you know, you're looking for a company that has values that align with your own, uh, whether that is the amount of days you have to be in the office or what their diversity and inclusion program looks like, or if they do any sort of charity work, outreach in the local community, what their sustainability rating is, are they a B Corp? All of that kind of stuff is becoming as or more important to people when they're looking for jobs as salary uh, or office location or things like that. So yeah, I think asking people would be the thing that I have done in the past and would continue to do to, yeah, as a starting point, just to see where the land lies. You can also do things like workshops with leadership teams, workshops with all the staff and just ask say hey what do you want you know we're listening what it is what it is it that you need and want and then you can take that away look at it and then come up with ideas based around that rather than just plucking them from like one leader's opinion yeah definitely and it's interesting just picking up on the point you said about the the employee market I suppose and people looking for cultures policies mandates procedures um, certifications that align to their own demands, wishes, values, needs. Culture is a really important one. It's a huge topic. And it's good, I guess, to think about that when you are looking at culture internally, to think about the external um, advertisement of your culture as well and ensure that they actually bleed through and that every step of the recruitment process talks to every step of the onboarding process and then the kind of employee life cycle process as well so that they all mesh together and it's not just a little bit of culture washing to try and get people in it needs to sustain and and be a, a real thing and I would fully agree as well I used to get all the assistants, team team assistants and executive assistants around, I think monthly in my last role, because they were kind of my eyes and ears to the office and everything going on. So I would sit with them, give them training, give them updates on what we were doing in our team and things that were coming, if it was changes in the office or we're getting new coffee machines in, you know, all the things that matter to people at the heart, but also to understand what works and what doesn't right now, especially when I was new in that company. I mean, it had been, it had been established for many years. So going in there I think that's a really important question to ask what does work right now and what doesn't and what would you change if you could as well as emphasizing that point that you can't please everybody and therefore you can't do everything every single person wants but it's about the balance and that fine line between giving people what they want slash need versus what is right for the company and the budget and things as well because we don't have endless money sitting in a pot so yeah yeah also it's just it's key to I think just that whole piece about letting people making people feel like they're being heard that their opinion matters even if you can't necessarily implement everything that everyone wants that that's culture that's transparency that's openness that is that 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 in itself is you know good company culture so I think it's just really important to do and that transparency is really key as well as you say yeah great tips there Business continuity planning. Have you ever considered what might happen to your business if it went into a disaster recovery status? That's the focus for this week's tip. It is something generally that can significantly impact your business, for example, financially or contractually, or even reputationally, if you are in the public domain or you have lots of clients and customers 
who you have contracts with that you've promised certain service levels to. It could damage your reputation if you don't handle a disaster appropriately. And that could be anything from the building shutting down, like building denial, or because there's been a fire or a flood, to then things like your computer equipment, like cyber attacks and security and thefts and so on and so forth. Now, the cyber elements are really important, as most of us know, because we are quite able these days to work from the cloud and therefore remotely. Most of our business continuity plans will be go and work from home, go and work from another site if the site's um, inaccessible. But when you start thinking about the cloud-based technology and all the different suppliers that you rely upon for your business to make money and to keep it going, have you had conversations with IT or with your suppliers, if IT perhaps sits with you in the main, as to how you're backed up and what that would look like should their systems fail, shut down? Um, you know, we've all seen it where Twitter or X, as it's called now, has gone down many times or Facebook's gone down and everybody jumps onto Twitter um, all these different things. So give all of that some consideration and think about how you would or your business should be managing its recovery, so a disaster recovery in the event of something significant happening. The easiest way to start with this is with something called a business impact analysis. We've got templates for all of this, of course, on the office management portal, but essentially the business impact analysis looks at all the different departments and their roles and what would potentially be critical in the first few hours, 24 hours, week or so of a disaster occurring, of you being unable to access certain systems or the property and so on and so forth. Get started with that. Get your business protected. If it sits with you, put yourself as the business continuity manager. Get people around the table talking about it. Build that policy and protect it and then manage it from there on out. Staying with culture, are there any other specific strategies or tools that you find particularly effective for enhancing office productivity and fostering that positive workplace culture, even if it's something very small that you've realized that works or something, you know, much more grand that um, that helps to accelerate the culture within a business when you're trying to make a shift or when you're trying to do something from ground up, especially in the startups that you've worked in. Yeah, I mean, I think the key thing with any anything uh, is to get leadership buy-in. Um, so having those relationships with the people above you to get them to back whatever it is that you're trying to implement or change. And if you are changing a policy or you're changing the way something's done in the office, having their buy-in and also, you know, taking people along on the journey as to why you're doing it rather than just, you know, saying this is what we're doing, get on board with it. I think that's really important. In terms of tools and things, I think post-lockdown, people being in the office should be, shouldn't be, you know, mandated as in a number plucked out of the air, everyone's got to be in the office these days. If it doesn't mean anything, I think it should be meaningful. You should be making the office a compelling option. You should be considering your teams. So if you've got sales teams that are on calls all day, have you got enough meeting rooms for those people to conduct calls all day? Or are you just asking them to come in to not be able to do their jobs properly? Does the Wi-Fi work? And so tools for things like booking to come into the office, there are like a bunch of different tools on the market and I won't name them all, but like I've used one in the past and you book to come in and it tells you when, who else is in on those days. So you can see if I come in, am I going to be sat on my own in an office with three other people doing all my meetings on Zoom anyway? Or when I come in, are all my team members going to be in and we can meet in person and we can collaborate in person and we can brainstorm in person. So I think 
there's a lot of value in those sort of office booking type apps of which there are many on the market they all kind of do the same thing in my experience um but I think that's yeah I found that really useful and also in just practically in terms of things like so when I've worked at tech startups they quite often like to provide a lunch for people or provide breakfast it's just yeah it helps you know how many people are coming in who you need to cater for are there any dietary requirements because you've got you know so and so is coming in and I know they're vegan so make sure there's vegan stuff in um so those apps are really really useful yeah, definitely. And the leadership buy-in element there, both in terms of like an umbrella culture across the board, but also in terms of hybrid working and mandating so many days in is so important because if the people sitting at the top of their ivory tower say, yes, we want everybody in two days a week or three days a week on these days, like you say, what what is the reason? What's the rationale behind that? Because it's a huge shift from at home working for two years to then ask everybody to come back. I have biased views on this, as you may have heard from podcasts previously that I've done. But I think that the challenge that people are facing is when the leadership are saying that they want this, but they're not actually doing it themselves. Mm-hmm. And there's this real disconnect between the sort of, I suppose, dictatorship feeling of you will do this, but I don't have to. So leading by example, I mean, a lot of office managers are still going in most of the week unless they're in much smaller businesses, because they need to be there, regardless of how many people are there, they need to be there. And most people take advantage of Fridays when there's very few people there that they get all their maintenance done and all their stock filled and that that kind of thing. And I think a lot of people take satisfaction from those quieter Fridays where they can just get stuff done in the office. But that is the thing that I'm seeing when I'm talking to people is there is this disconnect between leadership saying what they want and actually following the rules that they've set themselves. And that, that, becomes part of culture if they're asking everybody else to do it but they're not doing it themselves be it with hybrid working or be it with anything else within the organization you know let's all be kind and then one of the leaders comes out and is an absolute asshole to somebody well that's not following the culture so you have to you have to do what you are asking everybody else to do essentially I think as well you know you get sometimes you I've experienced leaders like that and they don't set they don't set the example in terms of office attendance but then they will come in whenever they come in once every two weeks and they'll be like, why is the office so quiet? I want to see more people in. I want more. And it becomes the office managers. Obviously it's the office manager's job to make the office that place that people want to be, but without any sort of guidance from leadership or strategy about what you want and conversations about how we're going to do it. Okay. What are we going to do to the space? You know, we've only got three meeting rooms. Are we going to build more meeting rooms? Can we have a budget for that? Um, you know, do we need to upgrade our Wi-Fi? If we want more people in the office, do we have a budget for that? If we're going to put on socials that people want to attend again, what is the budget for that? It's, you know, I think a lot of pressure is put on office managers post lockdown to just magically wave a wand and get more people in the office. But as we know, it's not always as straightforward as that. No, it's really not. And I I think the offices where I see more people in the not, I go to offices, you know, very regularly with clients are the ones where they have got a better culture. Mm -hmm. Like I, I can bet my house on it that, the ones where people are going in regularly is because they have a better culture and they've they've got their policy right in terms of flexible working. Um, so all a huge topic, as I say, on culture and hybrid working and everything, very interesting. So let's move on now to events. You mentioned in our private Slack group for office managers that we have on our wins sort of page that I've set up about a big event you'd organized recently that was successful. Tell us more about that and any tips that you can share for successful eventing, please, Cass. 
Sure. Um, so this was an event for one of my freelance clients. She runs a community for women in tech SEO. And she runs, she's always run an event in London for community members. But she took me on freelance this year. And we did an event for the first time in America, in Philadelphia. And that was two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I think, um, which is the event that I was referring to in the Slack. And next year we're doing London again and we're going to do Berlin and all kinds of other places. So it's really exciting. So I'd never done, I'd done a lot of events in my career, um, social events for staff, external events, kind of like, more like parties, networking type events. But this was the first time I'd ever been involved in helping organize like a conference or something like that. So it was just really interesting and it was amazing to get to go to Philadelphia, organizing an event in another country when you are in another country, in a different country is challenging. Um, I've done it before. I've organized offsites and stuff abroad um, when you're dealing with suppliers and venues and stuff in the other, in the other place. But a lot of, a lot of those sort of took place at one venue that took care of everything. Whereas this was, you know, we had one venue for the conference itself. We had a different venue for sort of an after party uh, drinks reception thing. We did like some walking tours for the people who'd flown in the day before, organized like some local work walking tours around Philadelphia for people to join. So it was just like a lot of different moving parts. There was a dinner that happened another night. So I was sort of dealing with trying to find suppliers, trying to find venues, locations that came in under budget and also you know, you're looking at a map of Philadelphia, a place you've never been going, well, this looks to be, you know, near enough to the, like the after drinks party venue looks to be close enough to the conference venue. But like, I don't know, I've got no idea what it is like in real terms and walking. And is it a nice neighborhood to walk through? And is the venue big enough? And you're looking at pictures and stuff. Luckily, I found a really great venue, a really great bar. And the woman there was very helpful. And she filmed like a little video walkthrough on WhatsApp for me. So it was really, really helpful. And it turned out to be a great venue. It was, it was, it was, it was really good. But um, yeah, so I would say try and work with suppliers who do go that extra mile and understand the challenges of, you know, organizing stuff from another country. Um, like I said, she did this video walkthrough and that was perfect. That's exactly what I needed because it's really hard to tell from like a website and pictures exactly what a place is like and whether it's going to be sufficient. You know, on the flip side, we we did this dinner one night at this amazing venue, but previously I was speaking to another restaurant and they're just, their customer service was just off. Like she was very rude and she asked me to pay the deposit and she sent through a unprotected word document for me to put bank details in. And I was like, I can't, I can't do this. This isn't, I can't put my client's bank details into a word document that's not protected and send it back to you and she was very sort of rude so I was like look we're just gonna have to cancel like we can't book it if that's if that's how we have to book it and also I don't really want to book it anymore um and then we ended up booking somewhere else that was even better so it all worked out but yeah I think just being really mindful of working with suppliers who work with you who understand those challenges particularly if you are booking something that's in another country completely to somewhere that you've and, and somewhere that you've never been before but we're doing another event next year in Philadelphia. So at least I'll be slightly more familiar with the area this time. Just got to have a few holidays out there before then, and then you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a lot to be said there, isn't there, about our gut feeling, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of head, heart, gut stuff. And when you've got that gut feeling like you probably did, the moment that that person was a little bit rude to you, you, you sort of, it's like red flags. You're like, oh, there's the first red flag. And then when mm -hmm. that payment um, requirement came through, it's oh, second red flag. And then when there's barriers and difficult difficulties and maybe attitude or whatever you want to call it there's another one and and you know that like I've booked many many events in my career 
and you do get that feeling when you first go to venues or you first start having conversations like we're trying to get into a venue at the moment and looking at the show next year and the awards and things and I said to Lizzie who started working with me recently the other day it seems really difficult to just get in there Mm -hmm. so we've given lots of availability but it just seems very difficult to actually get me in there and that to me is a little bit of a red flag initially because I've only got so much time um, and I appreciate they will only have so much time but we're just struggling to get me there physically to go and see it and I can't go and book a venue for these huge events without seeing it like I have to walk through the logistics so I can't imagine doing it where you haven't physically gone and seen them it must be really really challenging but you just get a little bit of a niggling feeling I think sometimes with these things especially with events like I'm very visual so I walk through and think you know like the logistics like you say how are they gonna go through this bit and how are they gonna get from A to B and then what's that gonna look like is it walking and like the neighborhood I mean I don't know much about Philadelphia I just think of isn't it the Fresh Prince that was from Philly and it was a little bit rough yeah I won't start rapping guys don't worry (laughs) as tempted as I am to do it but um yeah you know there's 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 rough areas everywhere in the world aren't there that you know there's nice areas and rough areas and things like that so it it must have been a real challenge so congratulations to you for pulling it off under fairly scarce circumstances of not actually being able to get there and see it before you had the event take place so um can you now share something for us please from your office manager diary one of our you won't believe it but moments Cass yes I can so when I was at Clio I organized a all company offsite to Alicante in Spain. So it was about 130 people from UK, Europe, America. I'd organized everything, flights, transfers, activities, accommodation, food, drink, everything. And I was really sort of like mum the whole time we were there. Sort of I set up individual Slack channels for each of the flights and like each of the transfer buses and each of the activities. And I, you know, I would literally be, you know, 20 minutes till this transfer bus, 10 minutes till the transfer bus, five minutes to the transfer bus. So I was really on people the whole time. And one of the activities we did was um, Beach Olympics. So I'd found this company who ran this sort of like silly sports day on the beach. And the idea was it was the only activity we organised, which was sort of mandatory for everyone to attend, not necessarily everyone to participate, but um, everyone had to sort of go. So it was like 100 odd people um, all doing these Beach Olympics and the games all sort of came to an end and the guy from the company said came up to me and said oh your your, your buses are here to take you back to the hotel so there was three big coaches and he was like they're not going to hang around so you've got to be back on the like four on the dot um or they're just going to go and I was like that's fine we've got like the games are finished we've got 20 minutes you know people can use the bathroom get a drink and then get on the bus and someone I think maybe even the CEO was like right everyone into the sea so 100 people just ran down the beach into the sea And the buses were like threatening to leave. So I was running across the beach, screaming at 100 people in the sea, going, get out of the sea, get out of the sea and get on the bus. And they were just swimming further and further in. So I was running into the sea. I don't know if you ever tried to herd 100 people, but it's impossible. So I was screaming, get on the bus. Trying to herd my four-year-old is impossible at times, Cass. I just can't, I'm like, I'm wetting myself practically here, <laughs> laughing on mute about this. This is hilarious. Almost like the the Pamela Anderson, like, there's a shark in the water Basically, moment. But it's like, yes. get the fuck out. And there were people on the beach who were obviously like, what is this woman doing? Why are there 100 people running into the sea? Why is she running after them? Uh, I was practically dragging people out of the sea and shoving them on the bus. Like, get on the bus. 
Um, but I managed to get everyone on the bus and it, nobody got no man left behind. So it was fine. That is just so funny. I mean, the boss clearly was just, you know, seat the pants kind of fine. Everyone just get the head in the sea and have fun. <laughs> and the coaches are bibbing like, you've got to get up. Yeah. <laughs> you like there with towels, like quick, dry people off. Yeah. And then people got out of the be- out of the sea and were like, oh, I'm just going to pop to the loo. And I was like, no, no, you've- <laughs> no, no. you should have peed in the sea. You should have gone in the sea. <laughs> yeah. like, use it or lose it. Get on the bus. Yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness me, that's hilarious. <laughs> I love that. I might have liked to have splash around in the sea, but I had stuff to do. So get out. <laughs> well, this is a note for next time. You know that if you're ever on a beach again doing a work event for more than maybe ten people, you need a um an announcement beacon. What's it called? A megaphone. speaker, you know? Yeah. Megaphone, that's the one. Done with get the out the sea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I absolutely love that. That was brilliant. So moving on, then, anyone that still wants to be in this profession, given that story and the herding of, of uh, half-naked people from a sea, what tips would you give to anyone who wants to get into the office management profession? Because this is such an incredible career for people who, you know, eventually do want to set up on their own or want to become COOs or head of HR, head of people. Like, There's so many different streams and avenues that you can go down from being in an office management role. So what advice what tips would you give to anyone wanting to get into it and how can they thrive in that role um you just have to be prepared to and this is a cliched expression but wear a lot of hats so you've just got to be flexible you've got to be adaptable you've got to be approachable that's really important um and some days you'll rue being so approachable because people will come up to you and ask you all kinds of things (laughs) but yeah wear a lot of hats and also just talk to people get to know people I always think that being an office manager is a bit like being an EA for everyone in the company because everyone will come to you with absolutely anything and some stuff will be expected and some some stuff you'll be like, I've literally never been asked that before in my life, but I'll find out for you. You've just got to be open, friendly, receptive, all of those things. And, you know, not everyone is like that and that's fine. But if you're not like that, it's unlikely to be the career for you because you do have to sort of be ready to help everyone all the time. As well as that, you have to be organized, you have to be proactive, you have to have a head for business, you have to understand how the business works, and you have to make sure you can get your head around all of the other stuff, the day-to-day, keeping the lights on, health and safety, fire risk assessments, all of those things. So um, my advice for anyone getting into the industry would just be, it's an amazing job. And like you said, opens up a lot of opportunities to lots and lots of different avenues, if you are that kind of person. Absolutely. The approachability is a huge thing. Like, again, thinking back to our conversation around culture, if you're unapproachable, your culture is going to to be impacted by that because you are at the heart, the soul of the business. And, and that's very much the culture element there coming coming through. And if you, I often say in our training courses and probably webinars, and maybe even in this pod before, but if you aren't approachable and people are, are therefore potentially in fear of coming to talk to you you're never going to know what is actually happening in your office what's gone wrong what lights are out what you know toilets are blocking and spewing out all over the place whatever it might be you need to be approachable in every aspect but have boundaries around that as well and there's really simple ways to to create those boundaries and kind of not make a rod for your own back and the detective element as well you know making you the go-to person that everybody will come to but 
being that researcher, being that detective of, I don't know how to do this. I've never been asked this before, but I'm going to go and figure it out and I'll come back to you. And if it actually doesn't sit with me, then I'm going to pass you on to someone else professionally and politely and everything else. So yeah, there, there's some really great tips and skills that you've you've mentioned in there. So I fully agree with those. What then do the next few years look like for you? You've very recently set this business up. It sounds like it's going really well. Are there any particular goals that you have from here on out within your career? Yes. So, I mean, actually, one of my goals for this year was to be invited on a podcast. I wasn't strictly speaking invited on this one because you <laughs> asked if anyone wanted to be on it last minute. It was an open invite. <laughs> open invite. But also last week I was invited on a podcast, a different podcast about workplace Um the details are still being finalized so I won't say what it is yet but had I not been invited on that last week just out of the blue I probably wouldn't have had the confidence to put myself forward for this today so yeah so that's that's one big thing that I've achieved this year that I was aiming to I would like to do more sort of podcasts speaking opportunities that kind of thing and and move more into sort of consulting on like business and culture and that sort of thing and move move slightly more away from sort of the supporting admin type stuff but there's some really exciting stuff coming down the line with my existing clients, bigger events, bigger projects, building new communities, all of that kind of stuff. I love to work very collaboratively with my clients, sort of alongside them. It's like a partnership and just, yeah, doing more of that, just building, growing, getting to work with more amazing people, exciting people on interesting work. It's um, it's funny. We did manifestations at the office management show. So Abigail Barnes did a, se a session on it with our premium members for the breakfast and she got us all to manifest. And for some people, it's just not their thing or it wasn't the right environment to do it in. But for others that did it, some of the things that they thought about came true even later that day, like people were looking for jobs and they got a couple of job interviews and job offers. And there were some other things. But I think it is one of those things where Carrie Green, who I follow, she's a female entrepreneur association. She is the female entrepreneur association founder. And she is a little bit woo, but she talks a lot about if you ask the universe for it, you shall get it kind of thing. And I think when you think things like I want to be on a podcast or you write it down, like these are my goals. It does very often come true. So it is quite a powerful thing for anybody that's perhaps into that and thinks, do you know what? I have some very specific things I do want to do, even if it's responsibilities you want to take on promotions or new jobs or being on a podcast, just email me and I'll, I'll bring you on if you're an office manager. Um, but yeah, I think it can be really powerful to do that and ha to have that intention if you are career minded and career orientated and aspirational because some people aren't and that's that's absolutely fine you know, it's down to everybody's own prerogative and where they're at in their their career and their their life personally as well. But if you have aspirations, I think writing them down or like you say, just just knowing that's the sort of things you want to tick off your bucket list professionally can be a really powerful tool to use and to do. So finally, let's talk now about AI, artificial intelligence and your use of this in your roles to date. I spotted a post that you'd shared on LinkedIn about it and how you're using it to support your role now and the sorts of things you're doing like chat GPT and playing around with it. How would you recommend others use it, particularly our wonderful office manager listeners to support their role? So you can use it in so many different ways. It's amazing what AI can do. And yes, it's not perfect. And yes, there are lots of reasons why you shouldn't rely on it for absolutely everything that you do. And I would never recommend to anyone that they use AI to create entire pieces of work and pass them off as their own but in terms of supporting any job particularly our job is really useful 
So the post that you saw on LinkedIn, I do this series on Instagram where I asked, it's kind of a bit of a joke series that I do, but there is merit in it. So I asked ChatGPT to pretend it's the CEO of a company who is passing a policy to X. So I think the one you saw was like demand people back in the office two days a week or something. And the reasons why this fictional CEO might do that. And then I go through each of the points that they make and argue against them, essentially. And I do it for like a bit of fun on my Instagram. But actually, for me, I find it very useful to basically practice, you know, to to work on my work. It gives you sort of pretend real life scenarios that you might come up against. So for me, particularly because I work on my own, I don't have, you know, performance reviews or anything or like goal setting within a team or anything like that. So I find it really useful. The way I use it is I sort of get it to come up with imaginary scenarios that I can work with um, to sort of practice and work towards certain things um, within my day to day job. But also I use it a lot with my different clients, whether it's, you know, getting inspiration for writing copy for you know, Instagram posts or Pinterest posts or things like that. For event planning, it's great. For Philadelphia, actually, you could say, can you plan me an itinerary for dinner and drinks in this area of Philadelphia? And it will give you, it will spit out an itinerary for you. You can do it in your personal life as well. You can do it for a holiday. If you're going somewhere you've never been, say I've got five days in Seville, can you spit me out an itinerary? I like food and I like museums and it will do that for you. So you can use it in a very similar way for event planning for work. Yeah. And for office management, I will say I've never actually used it for office management stuff, but um, I'm sure you could say I'm setting up a new office. What things do I need to, you know, be aware of from a health and safety perspective? And I'm almost certain it would give you, you know, a list of all the things that you would need to consider. So it's definitely, yeah, I always try and think about ChatGPT before I, or AI, before I do anything to see if it can support me in any way. My space bar is not working today. <laughs> it's funny. So I am, um, when I first started playing with it, I asked it to write a health and safety policy for me. Mm-hmm. And I can just say it was shit. Oh, well, there you go. So don't but use I, it. I really like what I use it for, like the social media posts. I, I call it a really good starting point for a lot of things. So I've asked it to help me plan training, like structured training programs or mentoring um, programs and all sorts of things like to give me some stuff which I'll, I either will or won't use so I'll, I might use elements of it I might use none of it because as I say sometimes it's just not great um but someone had told me that they'd managed to use it for a risk assessment and so I played with it and I tried to do quite a few risk assessments on it like for expectant mothers young workers fire general office kosh all these different things and it just it would basically just say you should have da 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 you should do da 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 it doesn't actually do it for you so a word a word of warning to those who think I can go and write a health and safety policy on it because it actually won't produce that kind of stuff the office management portal on the other hand will I was about to um, say that's where people should go for their health and safety plug but <laughs> I like I completely and I, I find it really interesting that you going back to what you said to start there that you're using it almost that's a really clever way of using it to almost test scenarios that you might come up against mm-hmm. that might be challenges to overcome especially when you're looking at culture um in a company where yeah it will spit out a policy that a ceo's just said yeah i want everybody in two days a week and what that looks like and i think that's a really clever way to to use it to think about right well what would i do in that situation and how can i combat that or overcome it or improve this policy or whatever it might be I think that's very clever but it is it is amazing you know don't don't get me wrong I'm not knocking it at all but I did play with it a lot saying write me 
all these different things, especially where health and safety was concerned. And it was very generic and non-specific. So you might be able to use it for starting points in some of these elements. And certainly, yeah, with social media, I think the event agenda and itinerary or you could plug into it you know give me an idea for 100 people for a team away day where we've got lunch and dinner some activities mm -hmm. some you know some um work on culture some work on sustainability whatever you can feed that fairly mm -hmm. specific stuff into it and I bet it would produce something really really good again as a starting point but also if you're in the UK make sure you tell it that you're English like English UK because you'll get Americanisms with all the Z's appearing left right and center that you might not spot that's a good tip another tip well I don't know if this is a tip but this is what I do I'm also I'm always really polite to it because I figure if it's I would say thank you I'm always like hello how are you thank you so much but if it's learning I don't want it to learn to be rude you do just feel like it's like this little I mean I picture of a picture it as a little woman just sitting there going you're welcome Hannah have all this extra stuff <laughs> Um, thank you so much you're amazing oh thank you that's really cool. I literally wrote the other day you're amazing because it just it just saved me so much time um with some of the things I've been working on which I have very little of at the moment as most of us do so yeah it's brilliant well Cass thank you so much for joining me on the office manager diaries it's been great to get to know you better and find out more about your new venture and, and how that's going as well so thank you for giving up some of your time thank you for having me it's been it's been really great pleasure this episode is sponsored by the Office Management Portal, our free online membership platform aimed at connecting, supporting and empowering office managers in a simple to use, all-in-one self-service resource. You can sign up right now at www.theofficemanagementportal.com and click the sign up button in the top right. If you want to upgrade your account to our premium membership at any time for unlimited downloadable templates and monthly expert masterclasses, use the code THEOMD for 25% off. That's the T-H-E-O-M-D for Office Manager Diaries for 25% off. Thank you for listening.